everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Real World Parenting, Tips and Scripts for Families on Roads Less Traveled. Today, it's me and you and a conversation about gender and gender identity. I want to take a parent's view of how this works and what to do and what not to do and who to find for help. If you find yourself in a situation where your child is thinking about their gender, expressing their gender, asking for things related to their gender, this can be a really um, unsettling time for lots of families. There is a tremendous tremendous amount of misinformation in the media, in the public media, in the sensationalized public media um, about gender identity and what's happening in this craze and this um, contagion. And today I'm going to speak to some of those, to some of the myths and to some of the facts and what we know and what we don't know. And if I were you and I was a parent and you have a child coming to you expressing things about needs related to gender, what I would do next. So 
that's what I'm thinking about today is what, what do I do next? Um, if I have a child who's coming to me and they are telling me that they think their gender identity is something other than the sex I assumed they were at birth, right? So here's what I'm going to start. I'll do a little bit of sort of 101 uh, gender stuff. Some terminology just so we know we're talking about the same things. And then I'll move into kind of what to say and do and what to know. First and foremost, so gender identity is, we used to say that your gender was based on your parts and that we could look at an infant and its parts, its genitals, and it would tell us whether it was a boy or a girl. In some cases, kids were born intersex and doctors would decide for them based on tissue distribution or uh, any number of things, how they should be raised. Um, but broadly speaking, people would look at genitals and say boy or girl. And even before the child was born and, and the gender is announced, there are expectations that get put into place, dreams, hopes, wanting to carry on family traditions of girls weekends or guys fishing trips or like we rolled up in this is a very gendered world. And I say that because if you're a parent listening and you're nervous and you're afraid of what's happening or embarrassed by what's going on with your kid and their gender, guess what? You come by it honestly. The world is loaded with messages around how girls are expected to be and what's okay for them when they deviate a little bit from girly girl? Do we give girls more permission to deviate from girly girl? And I'll be air quoting through this whole thing as we talk about it. But today I'm establishing that there's a common language in, the, in our culture about ex and just expectations. We have a package of expectations about how parenting a boy will be different from parenting a girl. And, and we come by it honestly. And it's everywhere from pink toy aisles that are frilly and hair doing to rough and tumble building, tinkering aisles of black and blue <laughs> toys um, to clothing that, you know, I do a presentation where there's, you know, I show a slide where there's a picture of a little pink onesie that says, I'm too pretty to do math. Ugh. Like my entire body just clenches from the inside when I see stuff like that versus like, you know, you know, the Tasmanian devil or like, you know, just this, the, the boy stuff that we impose upon our boys doesn't serve anybody. So at either end of those locked in rigid gender roles of girls who are frilly and helpless and princessy and, and not good at math doesn't help girls. Those girls don't fare well in life if they're locked boxed into this category doesn't serve boys well at the other end to be unfeeling hard guys who are competitive and, and cutthroat and bossy and, and um, you know, excused for all kinds of bad behavior. <laughs> like, that doesn't help them either. So we come by these ideas about what it means to be parenting a boy or a girl. It's everywhere. By the time kids are in preschools, they've gotten a bazillion um, expectations, comments, responses from folks based on what people think is their sex assigned at birth and assume is therefore how they're identifying internally. So sex assigned at birth is actually what the doctor is shouting out. He should, she should, they should shout out when a child is born, the sex assigned on this, you know, this baby has a vagina or this baby has a penis, 
right? I mean, like, that's what we know when a baby is born with a vagina and a penis. And we're learning more and more about this kind of thing. So your sex assigned at birth is based on genital categorized. Your gender identity, instead of being based on your parts, is based on what you feel in your head and your heart. And, um, and that is a more internal thing. You can't see it from the outside. Other people can't make assumptions about it for you. Your gender expression is how you express your gender, how you show your gender. I often say that I, I identify as cisgender, which means my head and heart and my parts all line up as female as I was assigned at birth. So I'm cisgender, female, and my, a lot of my expression is more masculine. I wear baseball hats a lot. I wear sweatpants a ton. In fact, sweatpants was one of my nicknames in high school and college. I have some more like socially sometimes behave in more masculine ways than feminine ways. But I can play with my gender expression. One day I'll be in, you know, a skirt and whatever, curled hair. And the next day I will be in my sweatpants, baseball hat, baggy flannel fleece. Um coding to some people more masculine presentation than others. So your gender expression is how you show the outside world the way you're feeling about your gender on any given day. So there's just some common ways to establish um, how we think about gender. Here's what we're finding in the world of, so I consider myself a gender affirming provider. I provide gender affirming care. There is a ton of misinformation about what that means out there. And in fact, recently there's been some some media describing the fact that a few um, professionals in the field made reference to sort of sloppy care happening, meaning there is a sense of concern that that lately there's a, just a rash of contagion. Um, there's also a book that's been put out talking about specifically people who are assigned female at birth suddenly flocking to all quote one to be male and that it's anti-feminist and that if we could just teach girls to be okay being strong then we wouldn't have all of these kids telling us that they're transgender male. Um, so to be reminding for folks if you're tuning in and you're not super versed in gender someone who's transgender is a person who's um, head and heart sense of gender is um, not congruent with their uh, genitals or their parts, right? So a cisgender person, um, their sex assigned at birth lines up with their um, internal felt sense of gender. Um, so, so if I say transgender male, then male, you need to pay attention to the last word I'm saying. If I say transgender male, that means this person identifies as male. And so um, there's this concern that that lately, you know, girls are sort of abandoning the girlship and deciding that if they don't feel girly, they need to be trans male and that it's all contagious and it's all anti-girl and that it's we have to stop. It's this landslide. So here's the challenging thing for parents. If you're wondering where to turn and you're on this journey and you're gobbling up media as most parents do when they're trying to learn about this, if you're seeing a lot of that in writing, I want to offer you a, a little bit of a pause and a perspective. One, a lot of great gender affirming care is happening. And many of the people doing gender affirming care are doing the work day in and day out, not doing the media circuits, not um, 
putting themselves out there because here is a hard reality of this. Because of the intensity of misinformation or the different worldviews that, that folks have about whether or not gender identity is the concept that is separate from sex assigned at birth, right? Can we really say that you are something other than what your penis or vagina tells us you are? Lots of people really say they just believe that can't happen. Um, and yet if you've spent time with gender expansive, um, transgender, non-binary kids and teens, um, it's really very clear a lot of the time that indeed it does happen. And it's a beautiful example of neurodiversity, biodiversity. I think so often we get focused on like, what went wrong? How would we explain what the deviation is? That It's like, you know, humans are incredibly biodiverse <laughs> and neurodiverse. And, and rather than thinking about this burst of transness, please know that there have always been uh, gender expansive, non-binary, and transgender folks who have suffered incredibly in places and spaces where they were not um, safe in their own estimation and didn't even realize it was an option to transition and to live in congruence in their gender identity or or knew that they that they just couldn't because of a variety of factors having to do with other people's bigotry and misunderstanding. So by I want to be very clear about this piece. By far and large, much greater harm historically and currently is done to young people who are exploring their gender legitimately and who are genuinely trying to learn about their gender than there is harm being done by these alleged providers who just rubber stamp everything. And the minute a kid comes into their office and says, I'm trans, we, you know, put them on cross-sex hormones and schedule them for surgery. If you're a parent navigating this journey, I want you to pause. And if you're a clinician trying to learn more about this journey um, and you're hearing these concerns from parents, please know that by and large, the process of doing a gender health evaluation or a gender evaluation or a, um, a full assessment of the situation is detailed, it is thoughtful. Um, I can say I, when a, when a youngster, when a kiddo comes into my office and kid or teen, and I know there's a question around gender, they've been telling their parents their gender is different. They've been asking for different pronouns. They've been presenting their gender in a different way. They've announced loudly that their gender is not what their parents thought it was based on sex assigned at birth. I get lots of kids and young adults and adults who come in at different places of assertion around this stuff. I always start with getting to know the child in context. What else do they love? What are they good at? What is challenging for them? What have their friendships been like? Have they changed recently? Where do they get their information? What kind of decision makers are your kids historically? Do they, are they impulsive? Are they train track thinkers? Are they feisty and stubborn and rebellious? Are they naive socially and really influenceable? Are they, uh, you know, cutting edge social justice warriors who always have been? Um, 
What can you tell me about the gender history? Were there times that you noticed there was some gender expansive behavior? Have, have family members commented? Have teachers or schools noticed anything? Has, has your child spoken to you about any of this stuff? What are the gender messages like in your house? How gendered is your family? Are there different roles for um, different people in your household uh, based on their sex assigned at birth? What are the assumptions made from parents? What were your expectations as a parent when you believed that you were having a girl or had given birth to a girl? What, did, what were you attached to around that? What might your kid have known you were attached to around that? Um, there's really very thoughtful, thorough assessment. When, when do you see your child euphoric in their gender? When do you see them dysphoric, which means in distress about some element of their gender? Um, what do you notice when your child is allowed to express themselves the way they'd like to? Who are the people in your world that are okay with a child who is breaking some of the rules? The rules around what little boys are supposed to do and little girls are supposed to do are strong. And by the time kids are toddlers, people notice if the sex assigned at birth is male and they're wanting dresses and dolls. And people notice if a little girl is pushing dump trucks and, um, you know, wearing everything that their brothers wore instead. And, and, and so, so it, no, I say that to say that we notice. Society notices, people give comments, believe me, they give comments, um, they offer advice, they have lots of theories. Um, and so I, a gender affirming provider will want to understand your expectations, the messages in your family around gender, the, the weight of what you were hoping for, the, what your child might have learned about what it means to be male or female in the world through your extended and immediate family. Um, yeah, what they're like in their social groups. And really, how do they know what they know? Where are they getting information? To, to back up a little bit and just say, there's been some sensationalized media, whereas a lot of the folks doing the work who are doing it carefully and thoughtfully don't come forward and talk about it a lot because it is so complicated. It is a if that, then then. Well, I learn about this and then I ask the child that. And if they're seven, I know to do this. And if they're eight, I know to do this. And if they you know, have siblings with this or if they have, they're also diagnosed with autism or they're also diagnosed with ADHD, then I do this. It's so It's so individualized that it's really hard to come forward and say, here's the formula for affirmation, other than to say, we center the kid. I tell parents all the time, I'm not the brakes because tremendous harm is done when you slam on the brakes of the kid exploring. We know the numbers for suicide and self-harm are very high uh, for young people who are um, not able to express their felt sense of gender. Um, so I'm not the brakes. I'm also not the accelerator. What my job is to do is to establish a common language between kids and their parents, help a child clarify how they know what they know and what they know, and work to help families make informed decisions about what is right for their child with the relevant, correct, knowledgeable, medical, endocrinology, et cetera, teams, if needed. 
If you're a parent new to this journey, I have worked as a gender affirming therapist with some children who explore for a period of time and then continue to identify as cisgender. They do not ultimately identify and use pronouns different from their sex assigned at birth. Um, they were curious. It felt as if it resonated with them for a while. And, and, and as they learned more about it, it wasn't the best way to explain what they were experiencing inside. But the ability to explore it helps kids feel connected to parents, helps kids get information about identity development, doesn't shut down kids' inner sense of knowing, and cannot, and I can't state this clearly enough, create a trans kid if there wasn't one. Saying yes to a child's haircut or clothing choices does not start them on a slippery slope path to inevitable non-binary or transness. Let, I mean, there are so many layers of transphobia on that, but, but as a parent understanding, so many parents come to me afraid they're going to say no to too much and hurt their kid, but also say yes to too much and agree to things that their kid can't possibly understand. And later, everybody will be mad at them for not saying, are you nuts? You were 15. No way. And so parents are worried that saying yes to too much is inevitably what's going to happen. So those of us who do gender affirming work know we've seen some kids who explore and then identify as cis and hetero. We have worked with some kids who, um, who identify as non-binary. They don't identify strongly with their sex assigned at birth. So what is non-binary? That's another, it's probably a whole other episode in and of itself, but today, in fact, it will be. But today I will simply say non-binary identities are folks who say, look, we've had this system in which there are two boxes. There is the girl box and there is the boy box. And you must fit into either one of these. There's two choices, bi, nary, two choices, two, bi. <laughs> and, and we've got a legion of kids telling us these days, those old boxes and those old categories don't fit for me. In my head and my heart, I do not identify solely in the box of female or male. I identify with having entities or essences or my inner heart and head self feels like I'm kind of a combination of both. It doesn't resonate with me to imagine myself as a girl or as a boy. I actually feel like I have a lot of masculine and feminine energy and I don't, it doesn't work for me. Not I don't want to be pushed in a box, but it is wrong. It is internally grating. It is, it is alarming. It is, it is angsty. It doesn't, it's not right for me to be pushed into this box. So I know that gender is more than a box and our parts. I know that gender is an intricate web and a weaving, and I am not going to be pushed into the box. The best way to describe me is not by using he or she pronouns, it's they or them or z or z, there's a host of other pronouns. But the idea behind non-binary is kids saying, you know, and sometimes people land in non-binary. That's the final destination. I think sometimes there's a misinformation that, that non-binary is part of a transition. Like a kid will say they're non-binary and then eventually is just going to say they are transgender or something else. Like complete the transition to that other mythical box that we have to stop thinking exists. Sometimes people spend their entire lives identified as non-binary very happily with a celebration of an integration of male and female energies and essences and knowing. And, and who in us really wants to talk our kids out of their gut feelings, their antenna, 
most of our job as parents is to teach kids to tune into their intuition, to stand strong in who they are, to integrate parts of their life experiences and, and live firmly in it, right? And so non-binary is for folks who are saying those old two boxes ways of thinking about gender do not work. And I, and it's wrong for me to be put in one of them. So I've worked with kids who end up identifying as non-binary as long as I know them. I have worked with kids who were, who, who did make the decision to do some transitioning and then decided it wasn't right for them. So folks who do affirming gender care don't all end up with a caseload full of kids who they talked their parents into saying yes and now this somebody got sucked into a wind tunnel and there's no coming back out, right? I think as parents want to gently challenge that these two things can be true, that it is very important to be clear about a child's gender choices, how they know what they know, do they understand the implications of decisions that they'll make about gender, what will they need to explore to get a better sense of their gender. It's very important. It is it is a big deal as a parent to help your child make these decisions. You are right to be um, worried and asking questions. And find the right support you need, part of which will help you move away from this idea that, that kids, quote, change and then, quote, change back, like it's hopping back and forth between boxes or on a line. The world of gender is a beautiful place to learn to expand your own limitations around expectations with this stuff. And we have learned since the dawn of time to think differently about different things. You know, we don't think about a lot of things the same way we did 60 years ago. And gender has been around forever. I have a map that I show in one of my trainings that is like 50 places around the world in for hundreds and hundreds of years where, where different cultural groups and people and have had, you know, all kinds of gender integrated roles and beings in culture and society. This is not new. Western media is covering it more than Western media used to. There is more permission for folks to explore gender identity. This is true. Um, your child may probably knows more kids who identify as gender expansive. That just means you know, they're not doing the really predictable, expected things for their sex assigned at birth. So your kid probably knows more gender expansive children than you did, or knows more kids who use they, them pronouns or who identify as trans in middle school than you did. Um, that does not mean that this is a brand new phenomenon that is simply contagious and a new way to explore. Are there some children who are searching for identity, listening to TikTok videos, and claiming gender expansivity or non-binary or transness when it, it, it really is not likely to be a permanent internally felt thing? Yes. If, is your child, if your child is spending time with many people who are identifying on different places in, a gender, um, in the gender spectrum and in the gender web, is your child likely to know more, hear more, be more curious about this stuff than other folks? Yes. And, and this is a giant and, it is dismissive and unfair and, you know, heterosexist and, and cisgender 
<laughs> it's homophobic and, and transphobic to assume that this is all contagion, that it is all for attention, that it is just part of people claiming identities now and it never used to be. So much harm is done when those assumptions are made about kids on gender journeys. Um, I also hear from a lot of folks that they're like, oh, my kid says everybody in the eighth grade is bi or, or, and now again, so here's an important point of clarification. Sexual orientation is not gender identity. So I taught you gender identity is your, or sex assigned at birth is your parts. Gender identity is your head and your heart. Gender expression is what you show people. Sexual orientation is to whom you are romantically, physically attracted, right? Sometimes folks are gender express expansive. They, they do their gender a little bit differently than one expects based on the old school rules, and they end up identifying as gay. Um, but there are also straight trans people and gay trans people and bi trans people and pansexual, which means being attracted to folks no matter their gender identity. Because it's hard if you say you're bisexual, but we know there's more than two sexes, right? So anyway, point being that sexual orientation is not gender identity. They are two different things. One is who you identify with in terms of masculinity, femininity, or mixture of both internally. The other is who you want to be with romantically and sexually. And they are very different things that get lumped together. So I will hear parents say to me all the time, oh, everybody in the eighth grade is bisexual, everybody's gay, or half my kids' friends are trans. It's just a thing these days, and so we'll wait it out. I would caution you, <laughs> yeah, are there some kids that are exploring it as part of a temporary thing? Um, sure, but they are still the overwhelming minority. More often what comes into my office is a tremendous amount of pain that is not being expressed to parents directly, that is because a child is on a journey that, that looks as if it will take some shape over time, that will continue to inform their lives, that will continue to define decisions they make, and, and that continues to, to push parents to understand the perspective from where this child is coming from, from where they're coming and so if you are gobbling up information, right? If your child's come home and said, you know what, mom, I want to use they, them. I now use she, they, or I'm going to use he, they, or he. And you start to either roll your eyes or clench internally, probably both. This is an invitation to breathe. It is an invitation to seek knowledgeable information. If somebody is, is gender affirming, that does not mean they are going to rubber stamp, yes, your child with everything your kid quote unquote wants around gender. There are important developmental decisions to be aware of. You have to know how an eight-year-old thinks concretely differently from the way a 12-year-old thinks from a 17-year-old thinks. So here's an invitation to read books um, by Diane Aronsoft, um, Look for UCSF resources. Look for genderspectrum.org. Genderspectrum.org. They are the grandparents organization of the um, kids and gender. They have groups for grandparents and parents and kids, and they have webinars and they have camps and they have school plans. Um, genderspectrum.org. There, you can look on my uh, 
website and we'll have some lists of gender resources. You can reach out to me for more gender resources, for books that tell the story of families' journeys around this stuff. It is a journey for the family. So if you are feeling clenched, if you are feeling eye-rolling, if you are feeling like you're going to operate in the land of don't ask, don't tell, let's not talk about it, we'll pretend we didn't just hear that, I want to first of all say, I see you. It is unsettling to enter into this area of stuff that we don't that we don't know. We're still learning. We are still learning how all of these things impact functioning. The the research, you know, is, is as long as this has been around, we don't have a ton of long term research. Um, we are using what we know as the intersection of child development and gender and sexual orientation development and medical experts to team with psychology experts if, and that's if, a child decides that they want some medical interventions. I think that's the other thing I see in parents is they race forward in their mind toward surgery. Everybody goes right to, oh my gosh, they're going to have surgery and take hormones. And I just want to invite you to breathe. Um, some kids do eventually have hormones and surgery. Many kids don't. Some kids have hormones, no surgery. Some kids have surgery, no hormones. Some kids have no surgery and no hormones and identify as non-binary or trans. You will be challenged to think differently about gender. And you will also be challenged in the assumptions of what it means to have a non-binary or trans kid. Having your child tell you about their pronouns does not mean you will inevitably be headed down a path of hormone decisions and puberty blockers and, you know, estrogen or testosterone and surgery. It doesn't mean that. So this is an invitation to breathe, seek information from a variety of resources. Many of the folks doing the metered, thorough assessments are not in the public eye because they're so complicated to describe in their individuality and because, quite frankly, there's been a lot of hate directed at people who do this work. It is risky for professionals to come out publicly and start conversations about this. And we need to be having more of the conversations about the complexity of these decisions with families and young people and recognize that it does not challenge our ability. If we say it's complicated, we don't always know. We have to get the best data we can. We have to make sure everybody understands the implications. We have to wait sometimes. We have to move quickly sometimes based on kids' extreme distress. If you don't know, there are very high numbers of suicide attempts and completed suicides in young LGBTQ plus youth. And those numbers are off the charts for kids whose parents don't support them. So as we wrap up today, I'm gonna to leave folks with the thought, as parents or as clinicians who wanna learn more about this and you're supporting parents, we must meet parents where they are. The most loving, flag-waving, affirming parents can still have fears about what this means for their child. Uh, you know, I, I've been in, you know, provider groups sometimes and people will talk about, you know, let the kid lead. And I'm a parent. And so I'm like, let my kid, what? Have you seen some of the things my kid has chosen to do when they've been leading, <laughs> right? Like, uh, 
that's unnerving. And I don't think it's supposed to work that way. And so what we do is center the child and establish a common relationship, understand why they're saying what they're saying, how they know what they know. We don't question that, that cisgender kids know that they're male. We don't force them to tell us how they knew they were a boy. We don't force straight kids to say, how did you know you're actually straight, right? We expect LGBTQ plus kids to have, uh, um, to be able to defend or, or explain in an extraordinary way how they knew things that can be really basic to the human experience, so basic that we ourselves in our majority roles didn't think about. So it's an invitation to breathe, to pause, to recognize that parents are anxious, to seek information from a variety of sources and look for the source of the information because you want it to be objective. You want to find folks who are, who are skilled and versed in this area, who, don't, who aren't new if you can. If you're in a place where it's hard to get hold of providers, um, you can reach out to me and we have an extensive sort of nationwide you know, network of folks that I can kind of try to tap into. But um, I just, I really wanted to reach out to parents today in this episode and say, it isn't all contagious social media um, gullibility or, or rebellion or defiance. Is it sometimes that? Yep. But that's not the majority of the cases that I see. And a good, thoughtful, connected parent, child, assessor relationship will help families determine when they need to wait and when they need to move and when they can explore without making dramatic changes in a child li- child's life and when a child really needs dramatic change. And those are important to know. Much more harm has been done for folks who couldn't get the changes they need than by folks, again, there's this idea that somehow you're, they're going to be like total rubber stamp. Oh, you're trans? Okay, here's your estrogen. Have a good day. No, that is not how it should work. Um, and, I, and I want to be reassuring. And I want you to find folks who understand that even loving, affirming parents have their own journey around fear and embarrassment and guilt and defensiveness and questioning from others and that you need support too. So don't hesitate to reach out, educate yourself, find folks who know this stuff. Um, and I'm going to do a part two about how to talk to kids about pronouns, like literally what to do in your living room if your kid comes home talking about their pronouns. So stay tuned for that. Join me. Um, I've been on a couple of other podcasts around this with the expat happy hour with tilt parenting. You can listen to me talk more about gender there. Um, I think those are the two that pop into my head now. So join me for future episodes and we're going to keep having these difficult conversations next time. Tips and scripts for pronouns. All right. Take care. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say, I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, on Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.